Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Real pleasure to have you on the show today. My next guest has been with us before. Always a pleasure to have her back. Lauren Malie is with the Buncher Law Corporation, and she's an attorney who specializes in Marvin actions. Do you know what that is? Well, we'll find out in just a second. Or non-marital cohabitation cases. So you you uh, probably want to grab a, a pen and a notepad and listen in because it's going to be very interesting. Lauren, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to have you back. Bill, hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So excited about today. My pleasure. Yeah, well, I'm excited, too. I always like to uh, talk with you and hear what's happening in in this particular area. Uh, This might not impact all of our listeners, for instance, but I'll bet they know someone or maybe even their family members uh, are are in a a non-marital cohabitation kind of a situation, and it's always interesting to hear about, you know, what's going on with that. Now, First, first and foremost, we've been in the middle of a situation where the courts have been closed for quite a bit, and I understand they're just opening. How are you holding up? Oh, you're so kind to ask, Bill. You know, it's interesting. Um, actually, I filed several new Marvin action cases during COVID. Um, the Los Angeles Superior Court has been open um, in terms of filing new matters. Orange County filing has been down without getting boring and technical. The bottom line is... Thankfully, my big Marvin action cases do tend to be in Los Angeles, and um, we've had no problem filing new cases. So that's been great. Um, As to the court closures in terms of actually being able to get into court and see a judge, you are absolutely correct. That That has not been possible lately. The good news is that it's all the more inspiration and a reason for me to continue my battle cry to my clients and opposing parties. Let's settle your case. Let's not go to court. Let's save the money and time and avoid that. Keeping my client's bottom line in mind is very important to me. So I've simply used it as as a way to sort of emphasize the need for for a prompt resolution. Yeah, and, you know, I've heard some things uh, because of uh, the uh, social distancing and staying-at-home policies. Some situations have kind of, um, uh, let's say, melted down a little bit because people have been stuck together at home more and they realize, you know, I really do uh, I do really do want to move on from this situation. It's a tough time to make that decision, but um luckily they have people like like Laura Malie, like you to talk to uh, about their situation and maybe working it out without getting into courts. Let let's talk about um how how someone how does someone have what's called a Marvin action. Tell us more about that terminology, uh, where it came from, and, um, and what it means. Sure, Bill, absolutely. So a Marvin action is 
the term Marvin stems from a California Supreme Court case that came down in 1974. Some of, some of the baby, you were mentioning baby boomers in your prior um, interview. Some of the baby boomers and others might remember Lee Marvin, actor, um, and Michelle was his longtime girlfriend. It was their case that started the Marvin Action movement, if you will. Their case basically said, hey, so what do we do with this situation? The folks weren't married, but do they have any kind of ability under the law to divide up their estate? They're not married, so all the laws that apply to married couples, do they apply? How does this work? What do we do with this situation? As, as everyone listening to me right now knows, in our society, living together without being married has become more and more common over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And so um, this case really was a landmark case to help guide the way California addresses these matters. And the answer to your question, Bill, is that the family code – all the laws that apply when someone is married do not apply to the division of the estate of folks that chose not to get married but amassed an estate together while cohabitating. And by the way, there's no magic number. There's no 10-year common law, seven-year. There's no mm -hmm. magical number that suddenly creates, you know what I mean? It, it just depends on how long the, you know, how, what the facts are of the case. Usually a longer relationship will be a bigger case just because there's more time for stuff to be purchased debts to be incurred, accounts to be opened, things like that. In any event, the Marvin Action case in 1974 basically said, no, you guys can't avail yourself of the laws that apply to married people, but that doesn't mean that the court can't enforce agreements that were made. That doesn't mean the court doesn't have the power to divide property. The court can do all the things that the court can do. You guys just got to be a little more creative how you go about it. That's basically what the court said. And so these matters can be, like you said, Bill, challenging, especially during COVID. We've had special challenges. People often don't know where to turn. They say, is, is, do I have a case just because the person that um, I was together with dumped me and I'm angry at them? No, no, no. The court isn't to be used for revenge purposes. But certainly to the extent that there is, is legitimate property that needs to be addressed, that's something that I, I discuss with people all the time. And, and often there is a, there is a resolution, and, and we definitely push forward to reach that as amicably and as quickly as possible. And, you know, I know in the court system, um, and I don't, I don't really know all the rules, but I know that in a marriage certain things do cross a line at periods of, of a duration of a marriage. For instance, support might last much longer for someone or a couple who's been married for 10 years as opposed to less than 10 years. And again, I'm just generalizing there. So, so although you say, you know, there's no magic number, um, is there, uh, does it get more like a, a lifetime type of a marriage with regards to support and things like that? Or are those just things that are negotiated all along? That's a great question, Bill. You know, it really is going to depend on the situation. So if we're talking about, and, and just let me make sure that I'm clear. Are you talking about folks that were married or folks that weren't? Because we can talk about both, or whichever you prefer. I'm talking about um, sim any similarities between folks that might be married versus uh, what, but what I'm really talking about, people that aren't. Um, but do, do the courts, let's say, let's say here's an example. Uh, for a married couple, for what I've heard is after 10 years, if, if spousal support is due, it's, it's then due for could be forever at that after ten years, um, is uh, in a non-marital situation. 
um, if support is going to be uh, uh, doled out, if you will, or, or, or mandated, would, would there be a point at which it could follow that pattern? Great question. Yeah, so the 10-year default uh, for spousal support becoming for the duration of the supported party's life or further order of court, or if the supported party gets remarried, that's, that's a sort of a default starting place in the world of family law. So again, for everyone that's listening, <laughs> if you're married over 10 years or under 10 years, it's not necessarily black and white, cut and dry, yes and no, in terms of 10 years or more lifetime support versus under 10 years, one half the duration of the marriage being a, a rough amount of like time for support to be paid. Those are generalities. Those are starting places. There's lots and lots of room to, to wiggle in either direction in either case. In fact, there's, there's some cases that say anything that's really like you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years, again, we're talking about in the marriage context, and we'll talk about non-married matters in just a quick moment, but in, in that kind of gray area particularly, it really the court can go either way depending on the facts. So for example, are both parties able-bodied and educated? Are both parties able to work? Um, you know, in a case like that, and relatively young and, you know, plenty of working years ahead of them, even if the marriage was 10, 11 years, the court might not see the need for lifetime spousal support. The policy being, hey, um, you know, the supported spouse, yeah, maybe she, may, she or he makes less, but she, hasn't, she or he hasn't really sacrificed much, so it's not going to take him or her that much time to get back into the workforce thus necessitating lifetime support. That would be kind of a windfall. Vice versa, if let's say, for example, we have a situation where a spouse is disabled or a spouse has quadruplets that are two <laughs> or there are other mm -hmm. or disabled children, you know, other facts, there could be reasons that maybe a marriage lasting eight or nine years, a court might order a longer duration of spousal support, just depending on the facts. Maybe in that case, wife is the CEO of Microsoft and husband is the stay-at-home parent who has no earning capacity. The court might be more inclined to lengthen it. So, so that being said, with that kind of as our foundation, um, in terms of the Marvin Action world, certainly um, one could argue all about the facts and arguing because the law is a lot more vague in the, in the non-marital cohabitation uh, situation. You could certainly analogize a case to a marital type situation with whatever the facts are. If there's, you know, a person that stayed home or a person that gave up their earning ability right. and the best earning years, right? You would might be able to make a good analogy. Well, you know, in, well, Your Honor, in family law, the law says X, Y, and Z. Thus, in a situation like this, because he was very dependent on her, he, uh, she made sure that he stayed home to care for the kids, the household, the boats, whatever it was. I think, you know, in your honor, in this situation, given all that she gave up, her reliance on his representations to always care for her, her again, you have to kind of work with the facts. But I, Bill, actually, that's a really good point. You absolutely can um, borrow from and analogize to family law in a Marvin action situation. The court simply can take it as a persuasive argument, or the court can say, okay, counsel, yeah, cool, nice try. No, the law doesn't support that here, and I'm not going to either. So it's really a lot more fluid, and that's why you really need a strong advocate and, and a knowledgeable advocate in the, in the non-marital cohabitation context because there is so much more that's left open-ended in that context. Just the way the law is, hopefully it'll get better someday and more clear, but at this time it's all about the argument. 
let's contrast another area now. We, uh, of course, in the world of uh, of uh, uh, traditional marriage, we hear about prenuptial agreements. We even hear about postnuptial agreements if things have changed and parties want to you know, set things correctly, or maybe even for asset protection purposes. Um, in non-marital cohabitation cases, uh, do you uh, do you recommend that people have a uh, cohabitation agreement? Um, I mean, it's a that's a kind of a touchy subject, right? I mean, so is so are prenups, but uh, and if uh, if things have changed while they're cohabitating and not married, do you recommend, is there such a thing as a uh, kind of a post, post-cohabitation agreement or uh, after, after they've been cohabitating for a while, um, how, would you, how would you address that or how would you advise uh, couples who may, you know, maybe things have changed along the way or, or one of the individuals has substantial assets and the other one doesn't, they just want to make sure it's very clear um, before they get into any kind of hot water? That's such a good question, Bill, and I, I address it probably <laughs> three or four times a week, every week. So, yes, absolutely. It's a great question, and I know a lot of folks out there listening are probably interested in that exact question. Hey, can we prevent this um, potential problem, if you want to call it a problem, before it starts? Here's the answer. Um, it's a, an anti-Marvin agreement, which is what you're talking about, an anti cohabitation and anti we call it an anti-pooling agreement meaning we're not pooling our funds everything is separate we are living separate lives we just have a romantic relationship and live in the same house they don't those agreements don't have the same meaning as a premarital agreement or a postmarital agreement again we go back to the same thing that i was talking about a moment ago the law in the world of married people is very well developed it's very there are ambiguities, but there's a lot of law. It's a lot clearer from the Barry Bonds case to other cases. The world of premarital and postmarital agreements is very, very, very robust. There's lots of rules and regulations and timing and making sure that the other spouse-to-be spouse has counsel. There's a lot of requirements, and the law treats premarital agreements in a very special way. They're given a special um, sort of authority because they're well established to be, as you exactly said, estate planning tools, asset protection tools, and the court wants to make sure that people know, go into marriages, you know, with their eyes wide open, and, and if they want to have a premarital agreement, all for it. Again, in contrast to that, there is no law that I'm aware of, and if someone listening to this is aware of something I don't, no, please call me up, 949-398-8720, and let me know. But I have never heard of any law or any case law that governs or regulates or sets forth requirements for anti-Marvin agreements. So they're not that meaningful, Bill. If people want to draft them up, and then this is so important right now, do what they say, <laughs> then right. go for it. But the problem that I've seen is a lot of times people, they want to do this. They want to do, it's, it's not, it's apples and oranges. They want to do in the non-marital co cohabitation context what people do in the marital cohabitation context, which is draft the agreement and then just do whatever the heck you want. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you are, in the non-marital cohabitation context, that agreement would just be one piece of evidence tossed on the heap of all the other evidence. What do I mean by that? The agreement would say, you know, my, these are my houses, my cars, these are your retirement accounts, your financial accounts, separate, separate, separate. 
Okay. Well, then what if you don't live that way? Right? What if right. it's, right. it's your house, but then he's paying down the mortgage? What if you contribute to the retirement account? What if he's paying for this? And you, like, if you don't live separately and you don't do mm-hmm. what the agreement says, it's literally meaningless. In fact, it could actually be used, I would think, against a party to show that, well, you, you knew what you were getting yourself into. Because, look, you wrote all this down. You knew there was something like a mar- called a Marvin action. You knew the dangers. And you drafted this agreement hoping it would just shield you, and then you acted in a way that caused, let's use, we'll use a more traditional example, man caused woman, if it's a, if it's a heterosexual couple, um, to rely on his promises, Man induced woman not to work, or man induced woman to contribute her savings to assets in his name. Whatever the case may be, it, it actually could be more harmful, believe it or not, to have that written out in advance. Just because it's really two different worlds. Yeah, and I think uh, you know what people might refer back to is like you know I can do this in business. We can have a partnership agreement. You and I could have a partnership agreement about how we're going to go into business, what we're going to bring into it, what we expect each other to do, and how we would dissolve that. Um, so do you think that well, there might be further developments in cohabitation arrangements as society adopts more of these, non, you know, these cohabitation uh, situations or, or you know, as people decide not to get married more? Because uh, I've heard in the past, and this was, I think this was a rumor, but a a California, I don't know, a congressperson, uh, didn't they recommend a, a 10-year marriage agreement, like a lease with the option to buy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill, you're funny. Yeah, yeah, that, that didn't go through, but I think that was discussed for a little while. Yes, you're correct. But, but is it time for something like that, do you think? Is it time for some kind of a change in the rule of law to, because if a lot of people are doing it, then you need to build structures around it, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's it, it's funny because people ask me that a lot too. And um, what has to happen is one of two things. To your point, either first, the California state legislature needs to re you know needs to focus resources away from not to be weird here, but you know, COVID, homelessness, you know, animal rights, all the other things that they're focused on. They're going to need to divert those resources and focus on developing laws to address non-marital cohabitation cases, which I don't get the feeling is a priority legis- from a legislative standpoint. Um, right, right. Maybe it should be. Maybe we. Maybe I should start lobbying. <laughs> yeah. Give myself a one-way ticket to Sacramento. Um, but it should be, but I don't know that it, our, our government sees that as a priority, given all the other priorities that are out there. Um, or And or secondly, the other thing that would need to start happening would be more cases more cases like the ones I take, will need to go through trial, someone not like the outcome, and then appeal it, and then go through the entire appeal procedure to then have law be developed in that methodology. And the issue that we have here is folks, folks are busy. Who has time to be spending seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years litigating and then appealing a case to have it become precedent. Most people are like, hey, let's resolve, which, which frankly I, I advocate for, let's resolve this case as quickly as we can. Let's you know, move on with our lives and not spend more time in court because court is expensive and it's unpredictable. So to answer your question, I absolutely believe there should be more structure. There should be more guidance. I think that would really help society as a whole because there is so much confusion about 
Marvin actions. It's, it's a lot of what I do for a living is education, explaining how these things work exactly like I'm doing right now. So yes, that does need to happen. However, I think that some of there are some sort of administrative or procedural aspects that, that may or may not cause that to take place as quickly as it probably should. But yeah, hopefully sometime soon it will and, and we'll be able to have more structure and guidance for people in these situations. And until then, again, it's kind of a great reason to, to chat with myself or someone else that you know who specializes in these types of cases to get the information that you need given your particular situation. Well, th I'd like to, you know, I'd like to uh, get into it with you about that because I think that, uh, you know, what might happen is as more, let's say everybody in California magically stopped going to the altar, stopped getting married all of a sudden, and now you had a, a huge number of people who are cohabitating, and then those mar those uh, relationships break up and they end up in the courts. Uh, you, you might say, well, hey we really need to build a structure around this so that doesn't happen on the back end. But until that time, call Lauren Malie <laughs> at the Buncher Law Corporation because she'll help you, you know, talk about your situation and maybe uh, resolve everything before it gets ugly, before it gets to court, and just really uh, help you, uh, uh, you know, be, remem be remembered uh, for, for being a kind person and, and uh, resolving your issues, especially if you have children involved. It's, you know, divorce can be so ugly. Um, you need to talk with a professional. Now, the Buncher Law Corporation, you can reach them at 949-422-8384 or go to www.buncherlaw.com. Did I get that right, Lauren? Absolutely, and an and alternative number you can use for our office is also 949-398-8720. We'd love to chat with you and give you any guidance, information, advice that we can. We're here anytime, so please let us know how we can help. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you back on. You sound wonderful, and it's, it's always terrific to talk with you. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, bringing us up to date, and uh, I hope you stay well and your clients get all of their uh, their situations and uh, you know resolutions resolved so that you can uh, you know have a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you've been great. I appreciate your time. Thanks so very much. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 